Uh, right. Good uh, day, everybody. Um, it's the 6th of April 2020. It's the Trend Signal Trading Podcast. This is Adrian Boothy here, Head of Trading at Trend Signal. And I'm joined with uh, my colleague, Chief Market Analyst at Trend Signal, Jerry Miller. Hello, Jerry. Uh, yeah, morning all. Um, so today, uh, we're going to be talking about how the markets have I guess relative stability uh, over the last week or so, um, certainly quite strong on the equity markets today, volatility dropping uh, off um, sort of major highs on the VIX. Um, and this is largely down to the infection curve, uh, arguably uh, flattening uh, a little bit. So we're going to be talking about that um, as we go through today's uh, podcast. So Jerry, uh, why don't you kick us off? What, what, what do we know? What, what, what happened last week? Uh, golly. Uh, well, the markets did sort of calm down somewhat. Um, stock markets, for example, the FTSE, uh, DAX, all slipped marginally, but nothing like the previous three weeks. The Dow was down, sorry, uh, the DAX was down about 1%, FTSE just under 1.7% down, so very, very modest compared to previous weeks. US markets and Far East markets slightly different. The Dow was down 580, which is about 2.7%. S&P down 53, that's 2%. Uh, whilst the Nikkei uh, suffering from a stronger yen temporarily, that was down about uh, 1,500 points. But uh, definitely had a quieter week though. Uh, volatility is starting to subside, yeah. as you said. Uh, and the VIX, Parky Adrian, do you remember when you know, we were talking about it, what, a couple of weeks ago when it peaked around 89 or 88. Um, yeah. it, it just felt like it was going to go, keep on going higher and higher. Anyway, um, the VIX is at 45 now, so very much down from those very elevated sessions from uh, three weeks ago. It's not quite the same thing, but you can see that yeah, 44.1 at the moment, VIX. Um, and you can uh, oh, let's get rid of that. Um, you can see how the, the size of the candlestick significantly smaller um, this week, uh, last week. Sorry, uh, compared to some of the, the heady um, uh, candlesticks of the previous few weeks, which were just a bit ridiculous, really, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just uh, pretty mad. But so, so not just equities, of course, Agent. We were also talking about the dollar quite a lot recently. It uh, um, doesn't seem to have been experience the same sort of calming effects that the risk correction has gone through with equities. Uh, certainly it seems to be resulting in cooler heads for the stock market, but the dollars continue to benefit from this haven buying as investors uh, prefer to part their, ca uh, their, their cash in US dollars. Can we just talk about safe havens for a second? I was talking to a client just last week and he was saying, asking if we could do a, just a few moments about safe havens. So what is a safe haven, Jerry? Can you explain? Okay, first of all, <laughs> probably the best uh, explanation is to tell you what is not a safe haven or what is riskier. The, the riskier uh, um, uh, sort of uh, investments, believe it or not, are shares. Those are the ones that go up and down a lot more. Uh, when companies' fortunes improve, the stock prices can go up significantly. And likewise, as we've seen over the last three weeks, uh, stock markets have absolutely collapsed. Uh, and investors then put their money into something that they know is going to be safe, i.e. it's not going to lose value uh, or tends not to lose much value. And that would be sovereign bonds. So uh, those are bonds issued by governments. They always know they're going to be repaid by government because governments just tax their the, the, the tax-paying um, public for money, if, if that was the case, uh, and uh, other safe havens like gold, 
um, and also the dollar. So these are sort of more reliable instruments that you can in, put your money into when uh, 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 there's a significant sort of amount of doubt about what's happening with economies. Uh, and that risk off, as it's called, um, it can be quite dramatic as we've seen, but that, that risk correction I think has calmed down now. So now you're seeing a, a little bit of um, not so much safe haven buying. So people are not rushing to buy bonds, not rushing to um, buy gold and the dollar, although the dollar does seem to be benefiting for this from this haven buying, as I've just mentioned. So, well, quite especially since um, you know we really look at the, the the U.S. contagion is sort of it's probably the epicenter of the virus now, isn't it? Perhaps, arguably. Yeah, I'd say it's heading towards quarter of a million infections. So it's just way, way outstripping the likes of uh, Spain, which has become the uh, top country in Europe now, just uh, surpassing Italy. Uh, but yeah, but it's just interesting. I don't think that's anything to do necessarily with directly with any infection rates and stuff. But I just think as, as a global uh, sort of uh, investment, uh, the dollar is the safest currency you can put your money into. A lot of things are priced in dollars, so it is the sort of weapon of choice for investors who are rushing to liquidate their investments, i.e. shares and other uh, investments, uh, and they put their money in dollars, and, and, and that's it, really. Yeah. Okay. That's that. That that should be very helpful. I mean, obviously, we've looked at um, instruments like gold, which really has uh, taken a bit of a hit in early March, early mid-March. Um, ordinarily, you'd expect it to be a bit higher than perhaps it is uh, at the moment, although it's certainly recovered. But of course, you know, those people haven't listened to previous podcasts. In a way, this has been used. People have been, institutions have been selling their gold assets in order to fund uh, or go into cash so that they can buy, um, I guess, equities at a discount, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, gold had a weird week, really. Um, it did actually close unchanged on the week, but uh, when you look at the chart, you can see that it did still trade in quite an elevated range. I think that mm -hmm. from the bottom, uh, from the start of the previous week to the to the low, I think it had about a seventy dollar range. Which, gosh, I mean, I've been in this business since you know uh, uh, nineteen eighty, uh, and to see a range of seventy dollars in gold. In a, in, a, in a week is considerable but I know we've been having $70 ranges in a day uh, just extraordinary and I think gold's sort of safe haven status has been a little bit obscured by liquidity issues uh, the dollar strengthening the dollar weakening and also um, in Switzerland the temporary closure of these refining facilities uh, because of the virus threat so that disrupted a lot of the gold physical gold supply as well so some of the spread betting companies, as I said last week, you know, the, the, the quotes were ten dollars wide. Adrian, you know, just yeah. uh, frightening, um, as it were, <laughs> if you dare trade it for that uh, on that sort of a spread. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what about uh, that's great. Thank you. I think um, uh, our, our client will be very, very happy with that. Um, what else has uh, been happening then? Um, what about oil? That's been oil having, uh, uh, had a uh, hell of a week, didn't it? You absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, oil, first of all, I'll just give you the numbers. Um, oil uh, eventually uh, closing up on Brent. So that's UK oil. Uh, that's the sort of benchmark outside the US. That closed up a whopping $10. $10 on a price from sort of whatever it was, 23, 24 bucks. Um, that's a 40% increase, Adrian. Um, US yeah. oil. 
Uh, so that's what we refer to in other descriptions as WTI or West Texas Intermediary. That's the domestic oil uh, in the US. Uh, still seven dollars higher as well. That was what thirty-two percent. So significant moves. And this all started uh, last week when Trump um, tweeted that uh, um, there was a potential deal uh, being agreed between OPEC and Russia uh, to uh, cut production. Uh, if you remember, about three weeks ago, that OPEC meeting in Vienna, where Russia sort of balked at uh, further production cuts because they felt it was just feeding the US shale oil business. And Saudi Arabia just sort of threw a complete tantrum and uh, walked away from it. And um, the next day or that weekend, if you recall, they uh, not only did they not cut production, they ramped production up. And not only did they ramp production up, they also discounted their price by 30, up to sort of 30 percent. Um, to take market share from Russia and other producers. Uh, so at a time when oil consumption was collapsing because of COVID-19 and the lockdown, um, Saudi, engage, Saudi Arabia engaged in this sort of very destructive behavior, which um, I call it a, it's a price war really with Russia. Anyway, that's the bad news. Uh, the good news is that uh, um, Saudi and Russian oil um, executives have been meeting, uh, state uh, people have been meeting to try and agree some sort of a deal. Uh, and that was sort of released last th Friday, but weekend news uh, also came out that Saudi Arabia and Russian officials were ex exchanging accusations about who was responsible for the breakdown in talks uh, in Vienna three <laughs> weeks ago. It's not particularly helpful, really. Uh, I think they were going to have a meeting today, Asia, but I think the Two sides are still sorting out their negotiating positions um, and wanting to pre-frame it really before uh, this emergency OPEC meeting on Wednesday this week. It, it's funny because you know something you said earlier about that, you know that was the bad news, but of course, you know, to, to to the untrained eye, you'd think that um, low oil price uh, is good for us because it means you know low prices at the pumps. Although we're in this sort of weird situation where we can't even benefit from that because we're all in isolation, we're not even buying any petrol, so we're not even getting the benefit of the cheap price. But anyway, um, of course, what it really means is that oil companies uh, are taking a massive hit. So. Uh, the good news that they do sort it out and that petrol does become more expensive is because it means that the share prices of BP and Shell and so on will hopefully go back up again, which is good for our pensions, uh, basically. Um, which is, yeah, that's which right. Is, I mean, they're, they're, they're massive uh, dividend payers and uh, a lot of income funds are absolutely lost without the likes of BP and Shell and some of the banks as well uh, that pay good dividends. And I think uh, that's a, it's a big problem, as you say. I don't know when the last time you filled up, Adrian. I mean, I've done probably 15 miles in the last week. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bizarre actually. Just my uh, my meters just not going. Well, I've been out two or three times in the last two weeks. I mean, that's that's yeah. it. Just go to the shops. I mean, I mean, really, really what we should do is is, is buy an oil tanker or petrol tank <laughs> put it in our garden and, and and fill it up and make sure it's got about ten thousand liters in it. That's how to make some money out of the price down here. But as you say, realistically. Um, by the time all this is sorted out, when we do need to start using petrol again, it'll be back up again. That's just the way it works. Um, but it, but it is, it's extraordinary. They're, they're talking about cuts in production of up to, well, there were reports of 15 million barrels per day. If you compare that to what they were trying to sort out in Vienna three weeks ago, that was about one and a half million barrels per day. Um, I think that's probably a little bit over the top. 
realistically, I think OPEC could agree maybe 10 million barrels per day cut, but they've got to get everyone on side. And Saudi Arabia has said it would support a deal as long as all, all global producers are involved. And I'm thinking, well, surely that should include the US shale oil producers, but Trump hasn't made any commitment to involve or even persuade US shale producers to join in the cuts. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. And of course, that's possibly one of the big catalysts was uh, the US becoming the biggest oil producer, really, isn't it, with, uh, with, with shale oil. So that's one of, the, one of the things that started this thing in the first place. Yeah, that's right, because Russia just said, what's the point in cutting production? Because all we're doing is um, giving more and more market share to the US shale oil industry. Uh, and that's sort of true to a certain extent. But remember, a lot of that US shale oil, is, it's all domestic oil and it doesn't get ex exported. But of course, it just means the US is importing less Saudi and Russian oil. I think they import Russian oil, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, the, the weird thing about it is that with prices down below $20, uh, many shale oil producers are really existing on a bit of a wing and a prayer agent because they're all pretty much running out of cash. Uh, their production and costs... And just to be clear, that's because the costs are more than $20, basically. Yeah, they're sort of, they, they, need, they need oil, world oil prices around 50 bucks, really. And... Uh, so you'd think with the oil price down here, a lot of US production is going to wane anyway. So just by the laws of supply and demand, uh, they will not be able to make much money out of supplying oil at this price. Uh, in fact, they'll be losing it. And the good thing about shale oil business is a lot of it can just be turned off. It's not like they've got these rigs in the depths of uh, the North Sea or the, the Gulf of Mexico. It just needs electricity to power them. Uh, so they can be turned off and on relatively easily. I, I guess is that is the shale industry is that being surviving on um, subsidy uh, in the states then? Uh, no, what it's uh, it's they're basically running out of cash. Though a lot of the investors right. that have been supporting these companies uh, will be looking at it and just thinking, what is the point of continuing production just to lose money? Absolutely. You know, the the, the, the better thing to do is, is, is in all likelihood is to sort of uh, reduce uh, production because why sell something for 20 bucks when perhaps in a couple of months time you'd be selling it for 50 bucks yeah yeah exactly exactly um good okay so um well we hit the end of the quarter uh, didn't we last week uh, mm -hmm. jerry so uh um, it's certainly been one of the more interesting quarters uh, for the, uh, uh, in, well, definitely in my memory, uh, that's for sure. But um, yes. it's been, it was an interesting start, wasn't it? Literally straight out of the gate, we had the um, US-Iran uh, spat, uh, and then obviously, you know, this um, the, the coronavirus. Um, and it's it's hard to, it's easy to forget that it wasn't that long ago that the US equity market was hitting new all-time highs. Unbelievable. Yeah, it, it, it's been an extraordinary sort of development, really. A lot of people are saying that they, it almost feels like we're in another world, a surreal world that suddenly is foist upon us. Um, and we started out the new year full of lots of promise, and, uh, and you've already mentioned that Iran-US uh, spat that everyone thought was a start of World War Three and everything else, but as soon as it started, it was over. And then the US markets just carried on hitting record highs. And, you know, we've had these discussions previously in, in podcasts where we've talked about the fact that the US was in denial whilst uh, COVID-19 was raging away in China and surely it was going to get out. And it was only when the reality dawned on the rest of the world that infections were starting to build in Italy 
um, so outside Europe, and the rest is history. Um, so, so Europe has pretty much become the global epicenter for the coronavirus. And I, although I do think, as you just mentioned, the US looks like it's going to be taking over. But participants struggled uh, to price in the risk, um, really, due to the coronavirus. Swathes of the global economy have shut down, as, as we know, uh, to protect uh, our health services and to protect the elderly. But um, these, uh, the markets then suffered these falls just a precipitous sort of under under sort of scores it in a way but it's even worse than that investors just didn't know what to do pricing in the risk was uh, just impossible to do in a way so investors you just, don't must... know, you just don't know which companies are going to go to the wall do you that's the problem no, so no. what do you do you sort of it, sit there and buy and hold on or or or, or liquidate uh, well that's what people a, were doing. a mass sort of liquidation of positions really and that's uh, what investor a lot of investors did in those sort of um, those in, in mid in mid March and moving into cash mostly the US dollar but you know markets tend to sort of swing wildly and and whilst perhaps they were a bit overvalued on the 19th of February uh, maybe that pendulum that was swinging down as the markets um, uh, crumpled uh, I think that was probably a little bit too far on the downside so it, it looks like we probably bottom temporarily as we were mentioning last week but markets do have a tendency to have a second look don't they so mm, yeah, they do. it just depends you know how the governments are going to play the exit strategy and how this lockdown progresses yeah it's interesting because there's all these cases are sort of you know escalating in the u.s actually really we've seen the 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 US stock market rise so it's almost like the it was ahead it's like two weeks ahead of actually really where the news is perhaps I don't know we'll see we, so yeah. how does um how does this fall rank with uh, with other falls I mean we've had the great uh, the recession 2008 uh, the 1930s Jerry where, where, where do we sit alongside those well we thought uh, Adrian if you remember back in 08 remember it all started with Bear Stearns in March 08 yeah. culminated with um, Lehman Brothers in September 08 and then the market hit the low in March um, 2009 and it really did look like someone was turning the lights out but this in comparison is a lot worse so markets have really fallen a lot faster and a lot further than how that, what that happened in 2008 and actually it's not since the Great Depression and I'm talking about the 1930s that have economies sort of been so badly affected yeah, I mean, I look at the FTSE 100 chart, uh, the monthly chart here. You see the size of the candlestick uh, on the monthlies in the last two months. Just unbelievable. I mean, you look on the far left side of the chart, you've got the two 2009 lows. Yeah. Um, okay, that's pretty pretty big in you know, September 08, October 08, but actually still quite a bit smaller than, um, than certainly month i mean that's an unbelievable candlestick you, 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 that 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 is just shocking adrian when you look at the size I mean, of look those at that. look at that for the dow by comparison um i mean it's just um mesmerizingly different uh, yeah it is w worryingly so but uh yeah it was um it's interesting so so you know we referred to it before the way that the market suddenly realized that this was going to be a global pandemic despite the fact that the world health organization hadn't quite classified it as such at the time but the markets just absolutely created so the us 
entered a bear market. And remember, Adrian, a bear market is where a market falls 20% from its peak. And the US did it in 16 days. 616, 16 days to fall 20%. I mean, just extraordinary. But yeah. the, pre the previous record was actually in 1929. And that's according to the FT when it took 44 days. So we're hitting some pretty dire records, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. Yes, uh, I mean, it's interesting, of course, it wasn't, um, we didn't have any bear market last decade at all, did we? And it took us only a couple of months to, uh, to hit one this decade, didn't we? Very, very strange. I do, um, I do think the magnitude of the fall, though, Adrian, is probably a function of how far the elastic band had been stretched in terms of the bull market. Uh, but, you know, yeah. uh, when, when you look at it where we were a couple of well, years ago, it hasn't fallen so far, <laughs> if you think, if you know what I mean. No, quite. Uh, okay, and what about um, growth? I mean, we had some conversations last week about a few forecasts coming out there for the year in the UK. What are people, what are people suggesting about GDP uh, for the year? Because obviously we're going to take a bit of a hit in Q2, aren't we? With economies in sort of relative Hello. shutdown. Really. Hi, you there? So. Um, I mean, one thing that uh, there might have a few sound issues there for uh, for Jerry, perhaps. Maybe it's my end, uh, but I'll keep Sorry, talking. Sorry, Adrian, um, I think so, I might have lost you here. Well, I'm still talking, uh, Jerry. Hopefully, you can hear me okay. I can hear you uh, absolutely fine. Um, just bear with me a second. Well, look, I'll carry on uh, anyway. I mean... Economists are now really rushing out forecasts for the likely hit on economies. Uh, in the UK, economists believe that the uh, the UK will sustain a collapse in GDP of around 15% in Q2. Um, and that's obvious to see because uh, a lot of people have been furloughed and, and not working right now. So, uh, or they've just been you know, lost their jobs entirely. Um, so. 15% in Q2, which is, you know, worse than the great financial crisis, the worst we've ever seen, really. In the US, Goldman Sachs has predicted a 34% annualized contraction in GDP in Q2. Uh, of course, that's just for one quarter. So the likely hit in Q2 is sort of 12 to 14% in GDP uh, as well. Uh, so similar uh, sort of numbers. Um, I think it's, uh, is it's, um, uh, Bloomberg uh, economists there have suggested that you know maybe looking at an overall uh, fall for the year, probably around four percent GDP in the UK. Um, uh, Unemployment-wise, Goldman Sachs is predicting that unemployment will skyrocket to around fifteen percent in the US by the mid-year, which is an increase of eleven percent. I think it went down to a low of around three point four percent unemployment, um, and literally just a couple of months later, we could up at fifteen percent. And of course, we saw some fascinating claimant count uh, data last week um, where the previous, uh, you see there, uh, I can't remember what we were expecting, I think two or three million uh, new unemployment claims coming in and it came in at 6.6 .6 million uh, unemployment claims. So um, quite uh, quite an unbelievable uh, number for the week here now uh, from the 5th, uh, sorry, the 9th of April, we're expecting around 5 million new uh, unemployment claims um, to be coming through. Um, but as ever, it's not so much about what's on this economic calendar. It's more uh, at the moment about the uh, the contagion. It's about the spread. Although ho hopefully the slowing down of the spread of uh, the coronavirus uh, there. We've got some um, 
in Australia, we've got uh, interest rates uh, decision there on Tuesday morning, um, uh, but you know wildly expected to to have no change uh, to keep it unchanged at 0.25%. Um, otherwise, um, CPI inflationary data uh, looking for a fall on Friday uh, from previously 0.1%, so small growth uh, in prices, uh, to a fall of 0.3%. Uh, percent there. Uh, as for last week, last week uh, we had our, uh, the non-farm payroll number, and I have to say we looked at the forecast, um, and it was coming in at falling like 100,000 jobs or something as the for the forecast there. I remember saying to Jerry that you know if only you could trade payroll, actually trade the number itself because I'd have had the most almighty spread bet on that um, to short it because it was never going to be as high as 100,000 or as good as only 100,000 uh, losing their jobs. Um, 701,000 um, obviously and of course we've seen as well uh, but it came I mean, it's 6.8 million. These are the sorts of numbers that are going to start to come through now, uh, unfortunately. Um, very, very uh, unpleasant uh, data uh, that we're seeing there. Unemployment rate gone from 3.8% to 4.4%. Uh, really, this is a little bit in arrears, really. I think what we're going to see is the big impact is going to take place in the May number, which will really factor in uh, everyone's payroll uh, for the month of April. Uh, so what you're going to see there is that the people who had their job in February, uh, sorry, in uh, in March, they still had some of it or still had it, uh, but it's going to be more the impact of people losing their jobs at the end of March. Uh, and into this month here. So this is where we're really going to see it for next month's um, uh, unemployment rate uh, data coming in there. And of course, non-farm payroll pay employment change too. Uh, so there we are. Um, consumer confidence coming in slightly ahead of expectations, which is uh, which is interesting. But generally speaking, um, you know, lots of these indicators are more sort of lagging indicators. They're looking at something that's already happened in the past, uh, whereas it's really the here and now that the markets are reacting to. So it's really the news wires, it's the data of cases, it's announcements of going on. It's news like this. You know, European stocks. And US data showing slowing growth in the coronavirus spread. That's the fundamental reason we understand why uh, the equity markets are rising today. Those are the key drivers uh, of the equity markets at the moment. Um, so, look, um, it's all a bit weird on the sound at the end there, I'm afraid. I'm going to uh, call it an end to uh, the session now. Um, so thanks very much for being uh, online with us and listening to the podcast. We continue to do these every Monday um, and there's a lot we can talk about, a lot we can go through in the markets. And if you've got any ideas of topics or anything like that, please just um, jot us an email to info at trend-signal.com and then you can tune in uh, and uh, we can field one of your two of your questions. We're very, very happy to do that ultimately. We do this to help inform our clients, our students, and uh, traders around the world uh, better about what's going on in the market. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and again, we'd love to hear from you about your feedback, about how you find these podcasts, any ideas, any other stuff that you'd like us to talk about in these sessions uh, will be well received. Now, one thing that we have realized or noticed in these, um, in these um, turbulent markets is some fantastic trading opportunities as well. So it's, it's sort of a bit weird to sort of be gleeful. I don't really want to come off gleeful here because it's a horrible situation, but at the same time, there are some fantastic trading opportunities uh, to be taken from the volatility in these markets. So as an example, uh, our end of day trading strategies picked up around 4,000 pips of uh, profit 
for March alone. So really, really healthy month uh, for end of day traders uh, and short term traders on the intraday trading strategies, taking some great benefit out of the short term volatility as well. And what I'd like to do is invite you to attend one of our um, trading webinars. We host three live trading webinars a week. This is a great time to be getting into the markets and learning a new trading strategy that can help you take them on um, and hopefully uh, be a lot more successful with your trading decisions. So if you'd like to come along and have a look at that, all you need to do is go to trend-signal.com uh, and then you'll find somewhere on the website there the ability to book in a, um, a place at one of our upcoming events. What you can also do, let me just bring the slide up, give me a second. Here, you can also go to the short link, uh, which you can see on screen now as well, if you're listening to it. If you're listening to us, um, I'll read it out as well. So that's bit.ly, so bit.ly slash learn ts. So bit.ly, bit.ly slash learn ts, ts for trend signal. Uh, okay, uh, otherwise, stay safe, everybody. Have a great week on the markets. Um, stay in lockdown uh, and keep your friends and family safe. And we'll tune in again uh, on Monday next week. Um, and uh, catch you all again soon. Bye-bye for now.